John 20, verse 1 to 9. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outrun Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And verses 19 to 31 of the same chapter. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was standing with the disciples disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples are in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you want to read the text? you want to read that? Beauty. Thanks, Carl. So we're going to be uh, thinking this morning uh, about the meaning of the resurrection, what the resurrection means. But I thought that before we do that... uh, I wanted to show a clip by uh, John Dixon, who's an ancient historian, uh, and it's just a, about four, goes for about four minutes uh, or something like that, and it talks about what reasons do we have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So uh, we'll play that, and then we'll think a bit more about what it means that he did rise from the dead. 
sort of kind of helpful, I think, to, to get the historical perspective uh, on, on the uh, reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And, and as John Dixon said, there's also the philosophical questions. Uh, you know, would, would such a God uh, uh, resurrect someone? And, and then, of course, there's also the, uh, the question, uh, rela- or the evidence, I guess, relating to uh, prophecy in the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus. But I want to spend uh, this morning thinking uh, briefly about uh, the meaning of the resurrection and to do that I want to read some words from John chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible still there, turn to John chapter 11. Uh, And this is uh, the story where uh, the, the account of where Lazarus has died uh, and uh, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, has died and Jesus has gone to, to, to visit the family uh, and uh, eventually he raises Lazarus from the dead. But I just want to read from verse 21 to 27. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Well, I had, uh, I had planned originally to preach uh, from another passage this morning, to preach uh, another sermon, uh, but things changed during the week. It's been a bit of an interesting week, actually. But on Wednesday, uh, I had the uh, opportunity with a number of other people from the church here as well to join with uh, the Stuart family to mourn the loss of Fiona's mother uh, and also to celebrate God's work of grace uh, in her mother's life. And at the funeral, uh, the, the, the man who was leading the funeral, Jason Summers from St Andrews, he read at the beginning these words from Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. And as I sat there, I really thought to myself, that's what it's about, isn't it? That's what Easter Sunday is about. You see, it's so easy in some ways to, to cloud out the obvious. To cloud out the obvious because we think so little about the realities of life and of death. And yet there's nothing like a funeral, there's nothing like the death of a loved one to remind us of our own mortality. We don't like to think about death. I don't think it's so much that we we choose to ignore it, that we deliberately set out to ignore death. I'm sure to some extent that's true. I think for the most part we're just so busy with life that death is crowded out. We're so distracted and consumed by the here and now that we forget about what might happen tomorrow. I read an article actually this week and the writer was pointing out that in the past churches would have their graveyards around the church. You know, you would, it would be this little church and all around the people from the church would be buried. And so built into the very architecture of the church was a reminder of our mortality. 
All we can think about is the bowling alley and cheap meat. But death in our society is closeted away, isn't it? It's, it's removed from us. It's not until death pierces the here and now that we begin to notice it and that we're reminded that we need to think about what's going to, going to happen on the other side. Sickness forces us to confront the reality of death. A diagnosis of a terminal condition forces us to confront the reality of death. A friend of mine, uh, his wife has, has been given five years to live. Imagine that. Imagine living knowing that, that your time is limited. And yet how is that different from the way that we live every day anyway? We never know when our time might be up. The loss of a loved one, a husband or a wife or a father or a daughter or a son. They leave us with deep scars. Death is painful and yet strangely normal. It's common but deeply disturbing. Even the slow march of age is an ever-present reminder that death is coming. Am I the only one who every birthday thinks it's not just a celebration of another year of life, but it's a reminder of the slow march of death? Another year less to live. No, death, whether we like it or not, is a reality. And into that world and into that reality, Jesus speaks these incredible words. I am the resurrection and the life. He speaks into our deeply troubled world of an almost unbelievable reality. There's two uh, components, if you like, of Jesus' claim. He says he's both the resurrection and the life. They're two related but slightly different things. Uh, he says, uh, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he goes on to explain those two things. He says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So the first idea then is, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Or, or, or maybe better, you might say, he who believes in me will come to life even though he dies. In other words, Jesus is, as he says, the resurrection. He is the source of resurrection. He demonstrated that when he rose, uh, resurrected Lazarus from the dead, here in John chapter 11. But he demonstrated that in the most powerful way, that he is the source of resurrection, when he himself, was rose, uh, when he himself rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. Jesus demonstrated by that that if we know him and trust him, death is not the final word. It's not the end. Jesus doesn't call us to a blind faith, but to trust. Trust in someone who's demonstrated to us that he is trustworthy. He's done that by rising from the dead himself. 
And those realities must transform the way that we live our lives, the way that we face life and death. Here is the good news for all of us, whether we've lost loved ones, whether we're facing a a dark time of sickness or whether we're just facing that slow march of age. Here is the good news. If, If you know Christ, then you will be raised from the dead. If you've lost a loved one and they know Christ and you know Christ, you will see them again. As you face sickness and death, you don't need to be afraid. Because in Christ there is resurrection and life. One of the most beautiful stories uh, that I have ever heard is the story of uh, an 18th century pastor by the name of Henry Venn. Now, he was an English pastor uh, and he, wanted, he, he didn't want his children to be ignorant of the reality of death. Uh, but more than that, he didn't want his children to be ignorant of the gospel hope uh, of resurrection and life in Jesus. And so one one day he came home to his family and he said, I'm going to show you the most amazing thing that you've ever seen in the world. I'm going to show you something wonderful. And so he gathered his children. Uh, I I think by this time his wife had passed away and he was left uh, as the sole parent. And he he said, I'm going to show you something wonderful. He gathered his children and he took them to the home of a man named Abraham Midwood. He took them to this hovel in the middle of town Abraham Midwood was a very poor man. He was only 19. Uh, And Abraham Midwood was dying and he was beset by disease uh, and covered in in these painful ulcers. And Henry Venn said uh, to Abraham, I brought my children here to show them that it's possible to be in a state of disease and poverty and want and yet still be happy, still have joy. And Abraham replied, Oh, sir, I would not change my state with that of the richest person on earth. He was destitute of those views which I possess. Blessed be God, I have good hope through Christ of being admitted into those blessed regions where Lazarus now dwells. You see, Henry then wanted to show his children not just the reality of death, but the reality of joy and hope in the face of death. Here was this 19-year-old man, destitute, poverty-stricken, dying a painful death and here he was blessed with the hope of resurrection in Jesus Christ. And not just resurrection, but intimacy and love of God here in this life. Abraham Midwood had met Jesus. He'd met the resurrection and the life. And no poverty and no suffering could take that away. And you know, none of us have probably ever heard of Abraham Midwood before. Died 200 years ago in obscurity. And yet Abraham Midwood still lives with his Saviour and King, Jesus Christ. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Well, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're terrified of death. 
Uh, I don't know if you're facing uh, a very dark time in your life in terms of sickness and health. I don't know if you've lost someone in the, uh, recently or in recent years and the pain of that is still raw. But here is the consolation of Jesus Christ. He who believes in me will come to life even though he dies. So Jesus is the resurrection, but he's not just the resurrection, he is the life, he says. What that means is spelled out by that phrase in verse 26 where Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's a strange claim to make, isn't it? Jesus just said, if you die, I'll raise you to life. And now he says, if you believe in me, you won't die in the first place. How does that work? How can you be raised from from death and not die at the same time? It doesn't work. Clearly what Jesus is talking about when he says life is maybe different to what we think when we say life, when we think about what it means to live. And when you read through the book of John, when you read through John's Gospel, you discover that, that life is more than what we think of. In John's Gospel, life and eternal life don't just mean physical existence, they don't just mean living forever, but they mean, if you like, real life, true life. The life that we were designed, created to live, a life knowing God, a life with God. You might, say, you might translate this Phrase, whoever really lives and believes in me will never die. The Bible says that apart from Jesus, even though we're physically alive, spiritually we're dead. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, we were alienated from God. Apart from Jesus, we're not alive, we're dead. It's a living death, our life. You see, when we think about needing to reconnect with God and being reconciled to God, we tend to think, don't we, along the spectrum of sick and better. You know, So we think that our problem is that we're a little bit sick and what we need God to do is to make us a little bit better and then everything will be okay. But Jesus is saying, that's not true. I'm not talking about sick and better. I'm talking about death and life. You're dead. Apart from me, apart from Jesus, you're dead. And Jesus isn't just making us a little bit better, but he's giving us life when we had nothing. There's nothing more comprehensive, nothing more final than death, and there's nothing more comprehensive, nothing more radical than new life. And so Jesus says, he is the life. If we trust in him, he gives us life. Not just eternal physical life, but real life, the life that we were created to live. This is how Paul puts it in Ephesians. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Or listen to this from Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul is writing that to people who are still alive. They hadn't died. They hadn't died physically. 
They died spiritually and they've been brought to life. They've been spiritually raised to life and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. When we know and we trust in Jesus Christ, we experience life. Life now for the first time. Not a shadowy death which we live every day, but real life in Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we're dead to God. We don't love God and we love everything else but God. We don't love Jesus. We're indifferent to Jesus. We don't love God's salvation in Jesus. We don't care about it. We're cold to it. We don't love the church. We don't love Jesus' body. We resent the church. We're bitter toward the church. We don't love obedience to Jesus. We find it annoying, inconvenient and frustrating. We don't love God's truth. We find it boring. We don't care about error. But when God makes us alive in Christ, all of that changes. Our love for God grows. Our love for God's people grows. Our love for God's world grows. Our obedience to God's Son grows. And it becomes a pleasure, not just a burden. God's truth becomes a delight rather than a bore. No, when we know and trust Jesus, we begin to live for the very first time. And here's the remarkable assurance that Jesus gives us. That life, once begun, can never end. It can never be taken away. It can never be robbed from us. It's not like the physical life of our bodies that one day will cease so that we can take it up again at the resurrection of the dead. No, our inner life, our spiritual life, is indestructible. Listen to what Peter writes in his first letter. He says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. The the grass perishes, doesn't it? We're like the flowers and like the grass. It dies. But if we've been born again through Jesus Christ, we've been born again by the word of God, which never fails, which is imperishable. If we trust in Jesus, we live. And that can never be taken away from us. If you can see the powerful work of God in your life, you see the powerful resurrection power of God through the Holy Spirit, then what has begun in mere seed form now will blossom into the fullness of life at the resurrection of the dead. Jesus says, whoever lives, whoever lives and believes in him will never die. So Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But who gets to share in that remarkable privilege? 
Jesus says a number of times, it's for whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in me, he says. When Jesus first arrived at the tomb, we, uh, we, we see this interaction between him and Martha, uh, Lazarus's sister, and in that interaction we see this wonderful example uh, of faith. Martha says to Jesus, uh, first of all, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's not a criticism so much as a statement of faith. Martha knows that Jesus is, is powerful, that he can heal people. But then Jesus uh, says to Martha, well, that, uh, that, his, that her brother Lazarus will rise again and, and then Martha shows that she believes at least in resurrection from the dead. She says to Jesus, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so Martha, she has not only this faith in Jesus' power to heal but, but she also has this faith in, in resurrection from the dead at the last day. Is that the kind of faith that saves us? Belief in the resurrection. It turns out that what Jesus wants uh, from Martha is more than that. And so he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus isn't just content with us having a faith in his power or a faith in resurrection from the dead. Jesus wants us to trust in him. True faith embraces not just resurrection from the dead, but true faith embraces Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. There is no life and no resurrection apart from Jesus Christ. See, sometimes we think of, of, of salvation and, and uh, freedom and, and, and rescue in Christ as kind of this thing that Jesus kind of lobs over the wall to us. You know, Jesus is in heaven and you know, there's kind of this package called resurrection and life and he kind of throws it off to us and, and uh, we just need to kind of you know, pick up the package and get on with life. But that's not how it works. Jesus is saying that, that life and resurrection are bound up in him. We need, to, we need to be with him all the time. Paul says, your life is hid with Christ in God or I no longer live but Christ lives in me. We can't come to Jesus for life and then kind of go away and get on with things. No, life is found in constant fellowship with the Son of God. Jesus says to Martha, in effect, Martha, you, you need me. You must trust me and have me. And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. See, she realises who Jesus is. And she puts her trust in him and flees to him. What do you and I need to live, to really live? What do we need to bring to the bargaining table 
Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing except the empty hands of trust. The empty hands of trust which say, Jesus, I know I have nothing and I know that you hold the power of resurrection and life. I want you. I need you. I have nothing without you. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Who is welcome to put their trust in Jesus? To cry out to Jesus, is it the perfect? Is it the, is it the well-dressed? You know, is it the, the well-employed? Is it the people whose lives are together? Is it the people with immaculate families and wonderful homes? Jesus says, whoever believes, whoever There's no better word, is there, in the Bible than the word whoever. I prefer the older whosoever, but that's just my personal. But that's such a great word, isn't it? Because we think everyone but me. But Jesus says, no, even you. Whoever believes in me will come to life even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much that into our world of chaos and sadness and death. Jesus Christ has come to die on a cross in our place, to rise from the dead and to speak into our world great hope. Lord, thank you that he is the very source of resurrection and life. Father, we want to acknowledge that apart from him, all of us are dead in sin and transgression. Lord, we've, we've rebelled against you, we've hated you, we've, uh, we've ignored you, Lord. And we ask that you would forgive us for that. And Lord, we pray that every one of us would come to Jesus Christ, the source of resurrection and life. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't think that these things are beyond us or not for us. Lord, help us to cling on to that precious word, whoever believes in Jesus. Father, for those of us who've suffered uh, the loss uh, of a loved one, of a friend, of a family member, Lord, we pray that you would speak peace and hope into our lives. Help us to trust you. Help us to wait for the day when faith will be sight. The clouds are rolled back as a scroll. Father, hasten that day.
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.